Good morning, Portico. Portico Online. It is my sober responsibility to inform you that Moses is dead. If you had not picked it up by now, we want to officially declare to you, he's gone. And Joe, for some people, they're going, and the series needs to die. (laughs) We should open the casket and throw the tablet inside. If you're joining us today and you're joining us online, welcome. And as we do come to this, this is the final message in our series on Moses. We've been talking about this man, his flaws, his success, his failures, all that is wrapped up in him. You know, it's amazing. We've spent the, uh, the past six months studying the life of this man, of, of Moses, and we thought, how fitting would it be when we come to the end of his life? And symbolically, having a casket here to represent that, yes, Moses had died and a new leader was coming in, we thought, how great would it be to kind of look back and reflect on the life of the man that we've come to know and love as Moses. And I would say most of us have been to a funeral service in some form and been exposed to what takes place, regardless of faith, tradition, and background. Mm-hmm. And there's typically, even if you were to gather with a wake or a group of people, there's always a moment for a eulogy, and then there's an opportunity at the final resting place to have an epitaph. And so today we've called this the final epitaph. But as we get ready for the message, there are a couple of things that we do want to draw out of this, and it's been a great series. We have five seasons that we've packed yeah. in around this man. But on this one, we really felt like what we could bring to us today is not simply the finality of what death is, and I think in humanity we recognize this, but also there's an element of what are the lessons to be learned mm-hmm. from this. Because I don't know, Joe, I don't know about you, but when you go to a funeral, and often I think, if that were me, what would I, at a, say, older age, so mm-hmm. I'm hoping for a few more years, what would I, <laughs> at an older age, want to tell a younger version of me? Mm-hmm. So we're going to spend a little bit of time. But let me read the text. So we're going to invite you to take notes, follow along, and you can download the app. But let me read it for you as we begin. It's Deuteronomy 34. And let me give background context. It says, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. And there the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali and the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region of the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. And then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Mm. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. And he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. And to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Mm-hmm. It's inter- Why do you think nobody could know where God had buried Moses? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great question because in, in the Jewish faith, uh, honoring, honoring the dead is very, very important having a place to go and reflect and remember uh, the person and the life that they've, you know, the legacy they've left behind. But as we've seen, as we've studied the life of the Israelites, as they've crossed through, through the wilderness, even when, they, when Moses made the staff and he put the serpent up on the staff, mm-hmm. the people began to worship the staff instead of the God who was behind the staff. And I think 
Had Moses had a grave site, I think people would have turned it into an idol of sorts. They mm-hmm. would have gone, and instead of honoring God, they probably would have focused more on Moses, the man, than, than God. So for that, Moses, this incredible character in history, has no final place to lay his head. And I love how God protected Moses from what we would do as humans, mm-hmm. where God recognized the greatness of this man and the work that he did, and he honors him by giving him really a sacred burial. Mm. So today, if we could follow along in the story, here's what we want to do. What would an older Moses tell a younger version of himself yeah. if he had the opportunity to do that? And so we're going to look at a couple of principles that we're going to share with you. And I think, Joe, the, the first one is you look at who this man was. And I think if we were to go all the way back, we would simply frame it with this language, that identity is not inherited naturally, Mm -hmm. that who he was. So I got a question for you, because I think this is your court. Was he Jewish or was he Egyptian? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great question. And this feels kind of weird because I don't have a stand to put my notes on. So I'm going to have to use the casket as my stand. Is that okay? No, Uh, let's go up there. It feels kind of weird. Yeah, you're good. Okay. Now, hey, last week I had a telescope, a fishing rod, and Star Trek stuff, and I said that next week's props were going to be cooler. Did we come through? (laughs) Well, the truth of that is there were so many props, the stage guys that are helping us said, could you get a prop that we can put Joe in so when it's all done we don't have to go through this again? But we're not going to do that to you today. Nice. Well, since so you're making let's fun go to of this. Me, Identity is not inherited well, you know naturally. What? Since you're making fun of me, I gotta, he, he was trying to skirt <laughs> past the fact because he saw that I was going to make fun of him. He goes, let's go to point number one. All right. Take your best shot. <laughs> if I'm, I've accomplished nothing at Portico, I've accomplished this. I got Pastor Doug in a suit. <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble, but Laura got me in a suit on my wedding day. <laughs> I only did this because you're Portuguese. I don't know oh. what this is all about. So, a lot of wow, first zing, today. zing, zing. Let's. You mentioned Portuguese this time instead of me. I know. Wow, this is like backwards Sunday. That's why we burned it up. Can't use it now. Can I ask you a question? Sure, you can. You said that you know you wondered what would Moses say to his younger self if he went back in time. What would you, what would Pastor Doug Ryan say to a younger version of himself, given the fact that, you know, you've lived this amazing life now? If I could go back and tell myself something Mm. at some point, I would go back to 1977. Every one of us has a moment like this. I'd go back to 1977 when a good friend of mine came to me and offered to sell me his car. A 1969 Camaro Z28 four-speed, black on black on black. And I went, no, I'm going to move to Alberta. (laughs) So I didn't borrow the money to buy the car. I moved to Alberta. Today, I couldn't afford to buy the car (laughs) if it was even available. I would tell myself. What about you? Well, if I was to go back in time, I think I would say to myself, hey, Joe, you know that shampoo they're selling that says it'll keep your hair? Buy it. (laughs) So take notes. Those are the most biblical things you're going to get today. (laughs) But 
diving back into Moses, so yeah. really, and the reason we raised this, because we want, there's three things we're going to have you take away today mm-hmm. that are, I think are high, high value for us. And this point, this identity is not inherited natural. We miss this, and mm-hmm. I think Moses actually illustrates for us. And so even though I, we played about this, sure, sure. but there is a reality to the sort of the Hebrew side and the Egyptian side. Oh, big time. Because if you were to ask Moses, what are you? Are you Jewish? Are you Egyptian? Are, are, are you a Midianite? Who are you? What are you? I think he might have a, a bit of a, of a tough time answering that question because he was from so many backgrounds. He had so many elements that were poured into his life. I wonder if at times he wondered himself who he was. Now, we learn later he found who he was, who he knew who he was in God. Now, several months ago when we started the series, I began to study the ancient Egyptian culture because I really wanted to learn about this, this place where, where Moses was. I mean, if you know me, I love Israel. I love the Jewish culture. I spent a lot of time studying it. Then we kind of made a sharp left when we came to the life of Moses because long before he was Hebrew, he was Egyptian. Egyptian. And yeah. so months ago, I began to you know, unlock all these things about Moses that I personally had never heard before. And I remember at sermon prep, I shared it with you guys. And I said, this is amazing. Can you hold on to it for the next four months and not tell anybody? And I said, sure, I am incredibly patient. I love to wait for things. Ask my dear wife, that's not the case. So I held on to her for all these months, and I spent weeks and weeks and weeks studying this background about Moses, and we're going to take just a few minutes and give you some high-level information about Moses that most of us in the room, or even online, wherever you are, you probably weren't aware about this. So let me show you a slide real quick, and we're not going to spend you know, uh, an incredible amount of time on it, but let me give you the highlights of the life of Moses. So people that are into the whole ancestry background, this is really important to catch. Yeah, because we had these first 40 years of Moses living in Egypt, and we have just a few verses. And, and one verse to the next verse, 40 years has passed. Well, hang on a second. What happened to those first 40 years for, for Moses. And so, if you don't get all of this, I'm going to post this on, on all of our social media sites. So, after the service, you can go in and grab this graphic. Now, on the left side, you have a very straightforward, you know, picture of his Jewish, his Hebrew mm-hmm. side. You had a mom and dad, a brother and a sister, and then himself. That's it. But where it gets really interesting is on his right side. First of all, his name, Moses. Now, today, it's a very Jewish name, one of the most popular names in Israel, and they go by Moshe. Can I, so can I jump in? Of course. If you're visiting, and this is going to be new to you, the story of Moses, he's mm-hmm. born into a Hebrew family, a Jewish family. Right. That's his parents on the left-hand side. That's right. But in Egypt at that time, there was persecution, and so the, the male-born children were being killed. Yeah, they were being thrown into the Nile River, Nile two years River. and under. Okay. And so this sets up the parents put their child in a basket to protect the life of their basket, Mm -hmm. and he gets picked up out of the Nile River by some Egyptians, and this sets up the right-hand side of the slide. Yeah. So now you're with us. You'll go, if if you're new to the Bible, welcome. Good to have you here. That helps you understand what we're about to explain. Yeah, and and it's a doozy of an explanation, okay? The Bible says that a woman, the daughter of Pharaoh, found Moses in a basket down by the river when she went to do Mm -hmm. her purification, okay? And we read that, we're like, wow, that's great, and we move on with the story. But what we don't understand is the background. The woman who finds her is a woman by the name of Hatshepsut. You guys want to try saying that? That's pretty good. Excuse you. <laughs> Hatshepsut is the daughter of Pharaoh, Pharaoh proper, the ruler of the land of Egypt. Now, this ruler, Pharaoh, he has all girls with his primary wife. 
And so women in those days can't rule. So what does he do? He goes outside of his primary marriage to a second wife, and with her, he has a son. So although that son is legitimate to him and has his DNA, he's illegitimate because it's not from his, his primary wife. Okay? So Hatshepsut is the daughter. She goes and she finds Moses in the water. Now, why did she call him Moses? Anybody know why she called him Moses? He drew, I drew him from the water, but it's actually more than that. Because if you look at all the lineage on the right, look at the name of the men, Tutmosis the first, Tutmosis the second, Tutmosis the third. Moses is a strong Egyptian name during the 18th dynasty. And the moment she gives her son the name Moses, mm-hmm. he automatically gets pulled into that line, and everybody would have said, Moses, he obviously comes from the throne. It was brilliant on her part. Now, again, it gets interesting because Hatshepsut is raising this boy Moses as, as her own. And Moses is in line to become the next pharaoh of Egypt. We've talked about this, but he says no. Now, it gets really, really interesting. Are, are you, guys, you guys tracking so far? Okay. So Hatshepsut knows about mm-hmm. his heritage, knows that he's Hebrew in nature. And they have a workforce that's made of Hebrews. Now, if you look back into the scriptures, the Hebrews aren't complaining. The whole time Moses is in Egypt. Things are going fairly well. Why are things going well for the Hebrews? Because Hatshepsut, the Egyptian mother, has a soft spot for the Hebrews because they're the people of her boy, Moses. Okay? So now, some of the illegitimate children on the right side of the screen, they don't like Moses because Moses has the name of the father, of the son. He's going to be the next pharaoh, and they despise him. They don't like him. And so during some of the reign on the right-hand side, Moses kills the Egyptian, and then he flees, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting, while Moses is in Midian, things seem to be okay. Now, they're okay because his Egyptian mother, Hatshepsut, is still alive, and she's showing grace to the Hebrew people. But the moment she dies, the Bible doesn't tell you this, but the history books tell us, the Egyptian culture tells us, that when she died, now the other pharaoh who was there, the III, who despised the Hebrew people, now that Hatshepsut is no longer there to protect the people, he starts to treat the Hebrews harshly. And he starts to give them extra labor. And then while Moses is in Midian, it says that the cries of the Hebrews have risen up to God. Why all of a sudden did they rise up to God? They were quiet before mm-hmm. because his Egyptian covering is no longer there. So this, you, you tie all of this together and you, you begin to understand. We, we spent six months or so talking about Moses, <laughs> but when you realize that his identity, and so we could wrestle with this here and go, so is he Hebrew, Jewish, is he Egyptian? But, you know, the beautiful part of the story is that the principle, I believe, that the older Moses would have told a younger version of himself is that your identity is not inherited naturally. Mm-hmm. It, it's not whether I'm Scottish or you're Portuguese or you can do the DNA test, you could be a Heinz 57. It's not that there's <laughs> no value in that. We do value our cultural identities, but the Bible says that God adopted us through Jesus Christ, that I no longer live, but who? Christ lives in me. Yeah. That my identity isn't my cultural identity. That's what I love about our church. We are the nations of the world, but we are God's family. And Amen. that is first and foremost in everything that we do here. And we recognize that Jesus in me, that's my true identity. And it was true with Moses because the, the writer of the Hebrews actually picks mm-hmm. this up. 
Yeah, I mean, the power of adoption in Middle East culture is, is much more than we have here in the West. If I adopt a child, and especially if I'm a royal and I adopt that child, they never hear the word adopted after that again. They are my child. When you are adopted in Egyptian culture, you are 100% a natural claim to the throne. And when God says, I have adopted you and brought you into my family, drop the word adopted. We are the family of God. Come on. So you go... For Moses, in Hebrews chapter eleven twenty six, we see this so poignantly. It says that Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. He wasn't merely looking at, am I going to have a, a great investment account, a retirement account? Mm-hmm. Do I have the Pharaoh's castle? What, you know, all the things that come with it. His identity was solidly established in Jesus Christ. He goes, that's worth more to me than anything in this world. And friends, if you're a follower of Christ, Mm -hmm. you need to write that down because the enemy comes in and he tries to confuse us and trip us up and make us doubt who we are. You are God's irrevocably. You belong to God today and he is yours. You know, people who know me, you, you guys know me, you know, I love, I love Israel. I love the Jewish culture. I love the Hebraic roots of the Christian faith. Mm. I'm fascinated by it. I've learned so much about it. But this is what I love about God. He says that the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, Israel, he says, that's my nation. That's, that's my people. I have called them to be a light to the nations, right? He says, I love them. They are my chosen people. But then in the New Testament, the Bible says that we have been what? Adopted? We have been grafted in. That's the same term as being adopted. We're being grafted into the tree that is Israel where God no longer sees Jew and Gentile. He doesn't see Old Testament, New Testament. He doesn't see Israel, Canada. He sees one people, one nation, one family gathered unto himself. And everything God said that he promised to Israel, he now says, I promise to you. He said, what I'll do for them, I'll do for you. What I promise for them, I'm promising it to you because if I did it for them, I'm going to do it for you because God says I only have one family. Come on. What a great faith legacy. So if, a, if an older Moses could speak to a younger Moses, and if an older version of you could speak to a younger version of you, great questions. So not only is the one topic about our identity, I think the second piece or the second principle that Moses would probably tell himself Mm -hmm. is that the menial moments in your life are not meaningless. That's huge. And I want you to catch that. That's a really succinct, simple statement, but it is profound in truth. Because for some of us, you know, you might be a transit driver, you might be a sales associate, you might be a banking associate, you might be a stay-at-home parent, you might be a mom or a dad, you stay home all day long. And you know when you get into those hours and those routines and it just seems like, what am I doing and what is this all about and doesn't my life have more purpose to this? And it's so easy to get caught up in that moment and feel like, man, all I do, it's just menial. Nobody cares, nobody sees, it doesn't really matter. And I love, Joe, what I love about the life of Moses is we see him in Egypt, then we see him over in Midian, mm-hmm. and then we see him in the wilderness. And this point comes right back up to the surface again. God was grooming this man right mm-hmm. from the time of Egypt. And you know what's true is that not only was he grooming Moses and Joshua and David and Elijah and all these amazing men and women of the Bible, but he's grooming you. He's grooming me. 
And when I'm in, in that stage of life where I feel like, man, I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. My name's not in lights yet. My bank account is still the same. You know, and you feel like I'm working so hard and there's really nothing coming out of it. And it seems meaningless because you're doing the same thing day in and day out. But what we don't know. But I want to just say what you don't know, because it's what I don't know too. What we don't know is that in that menial process, God is shaping us. He's giving us something that we need so that when we get to the place where he wants us to be, we'll be ready. And we see this over and over again in the life of Moses, 40 mm-hmm. years in Egypt. Yeah. 40 years in Egypt. Okay, so he's adopted into the family. He's the son of Pharaoh. He's the next, he's the next king when he's gone. So he goes to the best schools in all of the Egyptian empire. He gets taught science, biology, astronomy, cosmology, everything about the stars and constellations. And he must have thought one day in class studying for those exams, why do I need to know what these constellations are? Why do I need to know about science? And then God says, hey, I want you to write about the creation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He got the cosmological cosmological background he needed to write that very first verse of the Bible. Here he is leading this, this group, uh, this army for Egypt against neighboring countries, and he must have thought, why am I fighting for a nation who I'm not even that nationality? And so he's got to take this massive army, and he's got to put them in rank and in order, and then train them and teach them how to go out and fight a battle. And what does he do when he gets in the wilderness? At the feet of the mountain, he takes the tribes of Israel. He puts them in rule, in rank, and in order. Everything he might have thought was menial, it was not meaningless. God was preparing him, and he does the same thing with each and every one of us. So when you look at his education coming out of Egypt, I want to take you to the second 40 years of his life because he's now, he's really a refugee. He's on the run because he's being hunted for his life, and he ends up over in Midian, and Midian was not the Hawaiian vacation. (laughs) Barren, desolate. He ends up being a shepherd. He's raising sheep. And you go, like, what is this all about? If there was ever a moment that you've been in your life and you've worked your way towards your future and you go, everything is working the way I want it to go. And then suddenly, boom, the wheels fall off and you find yourself in a place like Midian. And you go, well, what was God doing? But think about it. Moses could have complained and whined about his circumstances and go, God, this is just menial labor. I'm out here just Mm -hmm. taking care of sheep and goats. What's this all about? But what was God doing? It was in those moments that Moses was learning how to survive in the wilderness, where to find sustenance and provision and Mm -hmm. water and shade, how to navigate through valleys and terrains. And God would eventually bring the most menial experience of his life and go, now you're ready to lead my people on a whole trek towards the promised land. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Listen carefully. It doesn't matter Mm. what you're doing today. It can be the most important work that God's doing in your life. How do I know that? Listen to these words. Colossians 3, 23, 24. Mm -hmm. Whatever you do. Whatever. So whatever you do right now, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving. Friends, when you leave today, remember, remember what you're doing has great value to God when you do it for his glory and for his honor. Amen. You know, we work for bosses, we work for companies, we work for organizations, and we should do our best because we want to be a great employee. But there, ultimately, the bottom line is we're not there to serve them. 
The bottom line is, although I want my boss to be happy, you want your boss to be happy, whatever I do, the Bible says, I should do it as I'm doing it directly for the Lord. And if that's the case, if we saw what we did as working directly for the Lord, I don't know about you, but that would change the way I work. Mm -hmm. Because we want to do things in a way that's going to be holy, pleasing, and acceptable to God. So if we could do the eulogy, Mm -hmm. we would have brought out that point that your identity is not inherited naturally. That menial is not meaningless. And I think the most important principle that Moses at least teaches me mm-hmm. is that failure is never final. Yeah. It's never final. It's never final. You know, um, we, we, we were setting this up about our situations not being meaningless. And we look at so many of these characters from the Old Testament, the, these major giants who, who were doing things that in the end were massive, but the process to get there sure didn't seem like it was fun. I can't help but think of, of the life of, of Joseph. Before we, we hit this, this final point, do you remember the life of Joseph? When I say Joseph, what do you think of? You think the highlights, right? The man who saved his people, the man who became this great ruler. But before that, he was hated by his brothers. They almost beat him to death naked in a pit, and they sold him as a blessing, as a favor. They said, let's not kill him. Let's just make him a slave for the rest of his life. The guy didn't have a good start. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure all of that seemed menial. That entire process leading up to the big moments. And I have to say, Joseph is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Really? Not just because of his name. (laughs) Let me. You you know where he's going, right? We're way off the rails. He was trying to jump to the third point because he knew I was going to say this. I said, no, let's, let's go back to this one. Okay. In Israel, one of the things we do is, you know, we offer... you remember that point about everybody has a boss? <laughs> point three. <laughs> is it okay it, if I yeah, tell go carry on. No, this is, yeah. In Israel, one of the things we do is uh, there's a jeweler who comes by, and he'll custom write in Hebrew whatever you want on, on a ring, on a necklace or something. It could be your favorite verse. It could be your wedding date, whatever it is. And so he said to me, hey, Joe, your name is in the Bible, Joseph. Why don't you find a verse that really... Uh, affects you and speaks of who you are as a person, you know, as a man of God, that you would like forever emblazed on a ring that, that you'll wear all the days of your life. And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. So I'm looking through the Bible, you know, and Joseph, everything Joseph did, the Bible says that God honored and, and God blessed him and he was successful. It was great. But then it was when I got to Genesis chapter 39, verse 7. That's the verse that really got me. And it said that Joseph was a handsome man and pleasing to look at. Where's the ring? Karen has it. It's <laughs> to remind her. So you got a gold ring made up with that printed on it. Yes, I did. Made in China. <laughs> All right, you win. Point, Doug, th- point po- three. Point three. Failure <laughs> is not final. <laughs> so you look at his life, and uh, it's great because... He was human. We often oh, elevate yeah. him to a superhuman status. And we look at this moment. Here's, here's something that really, for me, is profound. People go, Moses failed. He didn't lead him into the promised land. And we want to rectify that. Mm. The picture behind us, this is the view into the promised land. This is God and Moses yeah, up together. On, on Moab. Up on Moab, looking across mm. and looking at the beautiful land of Canaan. And God says, okay, you're not going to be able to go. There are consequences to your actions but here's how I know that failure isn't final. 
It was God who took Moses there, and it would be God who would bury him. Mm. What higher honor could you... Can you imagine having God as your pallbearer at your funeral? Mm. And that's what God does. He says, Moses, my honor, I'll bury you. And we often look past this moment. I want you to get this just deeply riveted into your spirit that Moses didn't fail. We'll all pay. You know, there's consequences for when we make mistakes. But I love the fact that God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be there for you. And we see this come true in Moses' life. You know, and you have this beautiful description of Moses in in, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 10 and 12. And and just think of his life, all that he'd gone through, all that he'd been through, all the challenges, all the successes, all the ups and all the downs, the valleys and the mountain peaks and all of it. And at the very end, here's what's said about him. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Wow who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all those officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. That's his final epitaph. This is what God says about the man Moses. Does that sound like a failure to anybody? Now, Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Who wrote Deuteronomy? The majority of it was written by Moses. Hmm. And it's a look back on his life. So he wrote these words about himself. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> Come out Tuesday night. Uh. Yeah, yeah. So the Bible says that they're inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the words that God breathed into them. Isn't that beautiful that God would give him such a glowing testimony? No one could compare to Moses. So it just reminds me that failure is never final. I love what Paul would write to Timothy Mm. because he was admonishing a younger follower of Jesus Christ. And he says to him, Timothy, he said, I know I'm getting to the end of my run, but listen, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And that's the testimony that Mm -hmm. we want to have. We stand here and I know we can have a little bit of fun, but we also have those serious reflection moments where we go... Mm. Moses did die, but our human death is not the end or cessation of our life, that we are spiritual beings created by God, longs for us to live in eternity with him through the grace given through Jesus Christ. But we, we all have this mm. birth date that we share in common, and unless the Lord were to come, right. we'll all have a date of departure, our death date That's of this right. physical life. And it's this little window in between that we get caught up. We forget about eternity. We get caught up in this little window of time, 60, 70, 80, 85 years, 120 for Moses. Yeah. But it's how we live those years that count. You know, I, I grew up in, in Toronto around Dufferin and St. Clair, uh, near a very large set of cemeteries, three back-to-back that go from St. Clair all the way up to Eglinton. This is massive, massive cemetery. I remember as a kid, for some reason, I would find kind of solace in the place. It was very quiet, and I used to ride my bike through there, and I loved looking at all the different kind of tombs, and some were like, wow, huge with, like, with angels and big giant monuments, and others were these tiny, tiny little plaques on the floor that you would step over and not even recognize. But no matter how much money they spent on that plaque, they all had one thing in common. Yeah, they had the date of birth, and they had the date of death, But then there was that little dash in the middle. 
And that dash represented 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 years of life. And it's what do we do with that dash? What do we do with that? That moment in time that God gives us. Hmm. Are we going to waste it? Are we going to spend it? Are we going to live a life in a way that God's going to say the same thing about us that he did about Moses? That he was a humble servant who lived and did the will of God. So with your dash, hold it. Because who you are in Christ matters. What you do is not meaningless. And your failures do not disqualify you. That's what I learned from the man called Moses. Let's pray. Father, today I thank you for the great example and the living legacy of a man that we have gleaned so much truth from. But I turn my prayer towards all of us that are Mm. in the room listening online or perhaps listening to this message later on. May you help us by your Spirit to carefully look upon our lives, this brief little window that we share here on earth. And may we not get caught up and distracted. May we not become discouraged and defeated. But, Father, may we realize life is a gift that you've given to us, and our true identity is found in Jesus Christ. It's not who I am. It's not about my cultural identity. That doesn't rule over me anymore. It's that I am adopted as a child of the living God. Mm -hmm. And His grace, His power, and His provision is available for me. So every waking day of my life and every moment of my life is filled with poignant power because you are in me, working through me. And that, Father, even when I stumble or I trip, or even when we stumble or trip, you're there to pick us up and encourage us to say, like Paul, I have kept my eyes on the future. I focus on what's before me. I don't look behind, but I run towards what's ahead that I might finish the race and claim the prize to which I've been called heavenward in Christ Jesus. So may that be true for all of us today. Mm -hmm. And I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.